to the RTI Time Machine. Today's time traveler is John Van Trieste. And the destination 1929. For generations of Taiwanese people, the book A New English Grammar by Ke Qihua was a trusty sidekick. There had never been anything like it in Taiwan before, a systematic, no-nonsense guide to the English language that demystified its inner workings so that even schoolchildren could make sense of them. Its revised editions and sequels went on to be bestsellers too, and through the whole middle of the 20th century, Ke Qihua's English textbooks were the preferred option for Taiwanese students looking to master the language. After so many decades of use, these books have achieved an iconic stature as something everyone over a certain age will remember. But their author, Ke Qihua, is himself an icon, and for far more than his role as Taiwan's great English teacher. A political prisoner, novelist, and sharp-witted poet, Ke suffered intensely under Taiwan's 20th century dictatorship, and yet he never shrank from firing back at it. Ke passed away in 2002, but his story isn't his alone. His wife, Tsai Ali, was at the center of it all. Together, they started a publishing house and a family, and during Ke's years of imprisonment, it was her who ran the business, raised the family, and fed Taiwan's insatiable demand for Ke's books. Now 86, she remembers everything clearly. Earlier this month, I had the privilege of visiting her family's home to sit down and listen to her share her memories. As we sit down at a large kitchen table, she pulls out a plastic folder full of her handwritten notes. And so we begin. Ke Qihua was born in the southern city of Kaohsiung in 1929, into a Taiwan that had been under Japanese colonial rule for several decades. Since she only met him later in life, what she knows about his early years comes either from what he told her or what childhood friends of his have said. What everyone seems to agree on is that Ke had a knack for languages. Under Japanese rule, children had to attend schools where the lessons were taught in Japanese, a foreign language to most people. Where others struggled, though, Ke mastered Japanese, and later even wrote books in the language. When he began middle school, he was introduced to English, and he took on the new language with relish. His classmates remember his outstanding test scores, as well as one time when he made vocabulary flashcards for the entire class. It was an early sign of things to come. Some of Ke Qihua's actual first encounters with English speakers, though, nearly killed him. During World War II, he was drafted, along with many other young men, into a work corps, tasked with digging trenches and performing other hard labor for the Japanese military. American warplanes targeted the areas where they worked, and one day, one of these planes attacked Ke's group, killing several groupmates who had been in front of him just seconds before. Despite this near-miss, Ke later had many American friends. 
His true anger, Ms. Tsai says, was directed instead at the nationalist Republic of China government that took control of Taiwan after the war, when Japanese rule ended. It didn't take long for friction to build between local people and the troops and officials sent over by the new government. In 1947, growing resentment exploded into violence in what is now called the 228 Incident. Government forces responded to unrest with a rampage through much of the island. Ke Qihua, then a student studying English, witnessed some of the killings firsthand. When the massacres stopped, paranoia and suspicion took over. The government was not only spooked by Taiwanese anger, it was also losing a fight against Chinese communists. By 1949, it was forced to abandon the mainland entirely, leaving only Taiwan and a few smaller islands under its control. Communists were thought to have infiltrated Taiwan, and their agents might be anywhere. There were no rules. Suspects were taken and interrogated, sometimes seemingly at random, and they were made to denounce others. While this was in large part a witch hunt, Ms. Tsai says that amid the hysteria, there were actual communist agents about. One of them, who was posing as a student at the time, was caught. Under interrogation, this agent denounced the school's entire faculty, including an old friend and former classmate of Ke Qihua. The year was 1951, and by this point, Ke had graduated university and become an English teacher. Ke Qihua's friend called him in as a witness of good character, something needed for his release. The whole business of being a witness seems to have been a ruse, designed to net more suspected subversives. Ke would not confess to anything, and no charges would stick. But while Ke was eventually declared not guilty, he was sentenced to re-education. That meant a year and eight months on Green Island. Green Island, off Taiwan's southeast coast, is perhaps still best known today for its past as a penal colony. It was only after he was released and returned to teaching that Ms. Tsai first met him. She says that setting them up was the idea of one of her friends. She says her friend gushed about Ke Qihua all day long, and so finally she agreed to meet him. The two hit it off. In the 1950s, when they first met, there were few restaurants or cafes for dates, she says. So from the first, he would simply call at her house. Her father liked the young man, and when Miss Tsai announced that they planned to marry, he had no objections. Ke had been sent to Green Island, but through no fault of his own. This was no criminal. Ms. Tsai's mother, on the other hand, refused to speak to her for an entire week after she announced her engagement. Her mother sensed that trouble would follow the union. Not long after the marriage, one of Ke's good friends was being held as a debtor and needed money and a guarantor to bail him out. Without the means to pay, Ke decided to open a cram school for students looking to get ahead academically. 
After a long day at his teaching job, he would go to his own school and continue to teach English late into the evening. At the time, there weren't many schools like this in the area, and the classes were hit. There were so few openings that Ke took to preparing class notes to sell to those who couldn't get a place in his classes. This work regularly kept him up past midnight. But those lecture notes were hot items. Ms. Tai suggested putting these notes into a book, and eventually he did. The young couple didn't know what they were doing, though, and the publisher who agreed to help them ended up violating their contract. Angry at being cheated, Ke decided to quit his job, shut down the school, and open a publishing house of his own. There, he could print his own works on his own terms. The decision may seem a bit impulsive, but it was the right move. Once word got out about the book, his company was swamped with orders. Today, Ms. Tai says, the internet makes the kind of information in the book easily available to everyone. But in the early 1960s, as Ke's book flew off the shelves, there was nothing else in Taiwan quite like it. Comprehensive, clear, and concise. Postmen would show up at all kinds of odd hours with big new orders. The young family was overjoyed, and Ms. Tai says they had many plans for the future. As we'll hear next week, though, a few words to the authorities from another of Ke's acquaintances was all it took to destroy this happy life. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another journey through time. <laughs>